Hello and welcome to the 105th FIS Freight and Commodity Podcast on Wednesday the 7th of September. You might be wondering why the voice sounds different. Well, that's because today is a podcast takeover as Chris is away. My name is Mopani, you can call me Mo, and I'm the content manager in FIS. And today, I'll be the captain of this ship. In this week's episode, we look at what's happening in the world of freight, iron ore, and oil. We're joined by Kerry Deal, our head of business development, to talk about the FFA and INO market. And then we have Sam Twyford, our fuel oil broker, who will tell us a bit about what's going on in the world of fuel. And then I managed to grab Ed Hutton, our technical analyst, who will add his take on the oil market as well. So without further ado, let's get this show on the road. Today we've got Kerry, our head of business development as always. Uh, thank you for joining us, Kerry. Thanks a lot, Mo. And he's here to speak to us about freight and iron ore markets. So over to you, Kerry. Well, on the freight, the Cape time charter rate started the week last week below $2,800, but finished above $6,000, making it actually one of the most significant weekly percentage increases on record. Refreshing to finally have some positive news to report on that market. Uh, the demand side of the story remained unchanged. That is, volumes of iron ore exports from Australia remained very healthy, with shipments rising, while exports from South America and Brazil in particular were drifting further away from the seasonal level, very quiet. This is somewhat as we expected, given the lower steel margins in China had, I think, depleted the demand for the higher-grade Brazilian ore. On the supply side, we did see that some owners had already begun to idle, idle their vessels, considering the poor returns. On top of that, we did see over the weekend supply tighten up briefly from weather delays in the eastern Pacific with that typhoon, super typhoon, sorry, Hinam, Hinam Noor, if I'm pronouncing that right, uh, moving into the East China Sea um, with ships being told to take shelter in some northeastern coastal cities in China and Taiwan. Uh, while refueling operations were halted in South Korea. And I know that's been hitting South Korea quite strongly in the last 24 hours. Um, taking the likelihood of severe weather disruption into consideration, the ship owners did manage to hold out for even higher rates through Monday. Um, and that was actually very impressive. It peaked at over $7,000 on Monday. Uh, however, negative sentiment was fully back in the driving seat uh, by yesterday, unfortunately. As more tonnage appeared in both basins, I suspect people were um, putting their ships back on the market as rates rose. And uh, we saw on Tuesday the index fall back down towards that $6,000 mark. The paper on CAPES had managed to rack up a few gains amidst the improving sentiment last week, peaking on Monday morning about 15375 on the October 5 TC. But the market realized that $7,000 premium on the front month was just not sustainable and moved swiftly back down to just above 11000 before making a slight comeback to 12875 this morning. Q4 valued at 13750 this morning on FIS Live. Now, the Panamaxes also saw that downward trend carried over in the first half of last week, with the TC average dropping below $10,000 briefly, before we started to see some green shoots showing. Uh, these were especially apparent on optimism about coal demand, with demand from China reaching a new record high. In terms of fixtures in the Pacific coal cargoes via Indonesia, redelivery South China were fixed early last week between 12,500 to 13,250, before lifting up to 14,500 at the start of this week. 
And the Atlantic limited fixtures were heard out of the U.S. Gulf and North Coast South America at the beginning of last week with rates declining. However, at the end of the week, uh, cargoes with what else? Coal from Bolivar to Italy were heard being fixed at $16 per metric ton, lending some support. And grains from U.S. Gulf to ARA were heard at uh, $17.50 for end September dates. In the South, uh, redelivery cargoes with grains from East Coast South America to the Far East were fixed at a discount rate of 12 and a half in the middle of last week before pushing up to $13,000 yesterday. The paper story on Panamaxis has been one of continuous improvement for the past week. And on the front end, that October 4TC valued at 16375 today on FIS Live, the Q4 at 15825 Now, that's an interesting take. Thank you, Kerry. Um, would you say the... Uh, shipments coming out of Ukraine have had any impact uh, on freight? I, I think that they may have nudged sentiment slightly more positive, but in terms of actual volumes, they're not that impactful. There's still not that much coming out. I mean, it's great that grain exports have resumed and we they certainly are picking up, but I don't think that's the swing factor here. I see. But moving on to the iron ore market, uh, the iron ore market moving the other way, mainly. Uh, the iron ore market suffered steep losses last week, finally breaking well below the $100 mark. And that's really where we've been hovering at on the spot seaborne market for most of the past month. This has largely been based on mixed views over Chinese steel demand, with many arguing that the market must be close to a bottom as Chinese production levels have been increasing steadily during the past month as we head into that stronger autumn construction season. This is all true, of course, and the stronger demand is seen in, in the figures. Uh, according to China Iron Ore and uh, sorry, China Iron and Steel Association figures, the steel inventories at Chinese mills fell in the second half of last uh, month, dropping eight percent to fifteen point three million tons at the end of August. That is actually the lowest level since January. I do think, however, two factors have really capped sentiment, and this is what sent the spot market as well as the futures well below that psychologically important $100 level. The first is the additional virus curbs in China, with Chengdu, Shenzhen, and Guiyang cities in China all under curbs now, all under some form of lockdown. Uh, It's once again, I think, demonstrating that this extreme Chinese anti-COVID lockdown policy will continue for the foreseeable future. It's just not going anywhere. The other factor worth paying attention to is that demand destruction in Europe, paired with high energy costs, are finally taking their toll. We saw ArcelorMittal shutting a number of blast furnaces in Germany, Spain, and France, idling them for now at least. And other producers looking likely to follow suit or at least trying, I think, to keep to a very low run rate. This could prove a slight swing factor in terms of that iron ore demand as we head into winter. So overall, a mixed view moving forward. On paper, levels have been moving substantially sideways since the steep falls last Thursday with the October trading 96.5 this morning, according to FIS Live, and the Q4 strip valued at just above 96. I think it's also worth mentioning the curve remains in slight backwardation as well with the Cal 23 valued at 92.80 today. I see. So uh, thinking forward then, what would you say... Uh, would be your take to the end of the year based on inflation <laughs> and the economy? You know, if I if I had that answer, I would be a very, very wealthy man by the end of this year. Um, between the, the rising Chinese construction demand for the autumn season, um, you know, at, at clearly increasing steel production levels, I think blast furnace utilization is above 85% now in, in China. Um, that should provide some healthier demand um, if the steel margins 
grow enough to especially ignite more demand for that high-grade Brazilian ore in China. I think that would help both the freight and the iron ore markets. Um, having said that, the wild card here is how much more demand destruction is going to occur in China because of the lockdowns and in Europe because of the ongoing economic situation and the very, very high energy prices that the mills are also having to face, having this effect, forcing people to idle their blast furnaces. So mm. looking at both of those factors, I honestly couldn't tell you which way this is going to go. I would love to give an opinion, um, but uh, I think we just need to wait and see. Wait and see. Thank you so much, Kerry. It's been a pleasure and look forward to having you next time. Thanks a lot. So we're joined by uh, our fuel oil broker, Sam Twyford. Uh, he's here to talk about the world of oil, so we'll go straight into it. Uh, so with Brent crude, WTI, and bunker prices, we've seen a mixed two weeks. What have we been seeing in the markets that may have kept prices steady? Well, Mo, thanks for having me. Um, it brings a slight degree of stability to the market and some, um, let's say, breathing space for participants. But the 3% swing yesterday... And of course, today, the volatility brought us all back down to earth in terms of uh, services resumed on Brent. Uh, it takes us back to the reality of when 5% per day moves wasn't unusual to see. However, when comparing to the gas markets, the oil market must seem uh, relatively flat. But headlines still have the power to shift the sentiment from bullish to bearish in just one tweet. Um, in the news this week, the Russian price cap has also been of much discussion, with the retaliation of this price cap being the turning off of the taps for the Nord Stream gas pipeline until further notice. Last week, G7 ministers agreed a price cap on Moscow to reduce Russia's revenues, um, and obviously Russia threatened those who implemented the price caps by simply cutting off the supply. We simply will not cooperate with them on non-market principles, spokesman Dmitry Peskov told reporters. Interesting. Turning off the price, uh, the price tab sounds like how some of our gardens have had the uh, tabs <laughs> turned off. Um, but uh, interesting that. So based on this, how do you see oil prices into the end of the year? Well, let's get the crystal ball out. But personally, it's a very, very difficult one. We have seen many arguments for oil stabilizing above the $100 a barrel mark if Russia looks to further weaponize commodity complexes. But also for there to be support um, on Brent around the $80 um, uh, mark or below if the recessionary fears come fully into play. Having spoken to the research team here this morning, there's is plenty to suggest that we may see $71 uh, per barrel at the very bottom of this current wave cycle. With open interest on Brent historically low and volatility ever increasing, there looks as if there is the possibility of the perfect storm given the re recessionary fears combined with the potential demand-side destruction as China lockdowns loom once more. China again experiences lockdown restrictions in areas such as the southern tech hub of Shenzhen, adopting tiered antivirus restriction measures. Other regions like Chengdu announced an extension on lockdown. Fresh outbreaks compete against the property crisis as the most significant risk to the second largest economy in the world. I see. That's interesting. So I guess lots to think about and a bonus question to you from me then. Uh, what would you say our listeners should be paying attention to over the next week or two? Well, in this market, I think there's uh, you, you cannot switch off with the volatility we are seeing. Um, that is the, the main focus and you can never sort of rest on your laurels in this market. I mean, just looking at the bunker market more specifically, the low sulfur spreads have fallen off massively on the week. The Sing Oknov contracts were pegged at 14 and a half on the 30th of August. 
Uh, this contract rolled to the front month as we entered September, and this is now trading at about eight and a quarter at the time of uh, recording. We see a less drastic drop for the euro spread. Um, euro Oknov, same uh, same tenor, was trading about eleven dollars uh, per metric ton last Tuesday, where it's trading today at about eight dollars fifty um, at the time of uh, time of yeah. recording. So there's yeah, as I said, there's a lots to uh, lots to look out on, not just the Brent movements, but also uh, the components in the cracks, the spreads that are all. Uh, independently moving and keeping us on our toes, shall we say. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that, Sam. We appreciate your update and uh, look forward to having you again next time. Perfect. Thank you, Mike. So I've quickly grabbed our technical analyst because he was mentioned by our fuel oil broker, Sam. And we'd just like to hear your comments. Welcome, Ed. Hi, Mo. Um, yeah, uh, oil's an interesting one at the moment because obviously we're seeing um, a lot of low low volume in there. Mm. We've seen a decrease in the aggregate open interest, which is the interest across the whole of the futures curve. Mm-hmm. Um, effectively, you've got a market that's coming under pressure from obviously where we're seeing high inflation, economic slowdown. Um, COVID is now becoming an issue again with these lockdowns in China. So you've got a technical that's traded through um, 91.51 this morning, which would suggest that there is potential for considerable downside in the futures. Um, We've got two issues going on. One is obviously OPEC have made a statement of intent by cutting production by 100,000 barrels a day. In terms of amount that's minimal Mm. but what they're trying to do is to let the market know is you can't build a short position here because if you do we could be more aggressive and it's a kind of a chicken and egg situation because fundamentally um, and technically the market doesn't look good Um, but where we have seen lower volumes um, possibly I think the lowest for the last three four years we are seeing these wild swings in the market of like four or five dollars that you wouldn't normally see you know Mm. Oil would normally move one and a half, two dollars tops in a day. Now we're seeing five, ten dollar moves over two, three days. And that's due to the low vol- volume, the low aggregate open interest. It just suggests that the market's going a little bit risk off at the moment. They don't want to be inside the product. Fundamentally, they're probably bearish. Um, but with the low volume and you know the war in Ukraine on one side and OPEC on the other, um, it just makes for a, a very uh, dangerous sell when you're going in against OPEC because ultimately um they will try and pull a surprise on the market at some point. Mm. Yes, there is a danger that they're going to be just defending, you know, the market $20 lower, but that's a really big gamble to go in from um, on any size position when the market is so volatile. Mm. You just can't, you can't control those sort of positions. You can't go in any sort of size. And we're, we're seeing that due to the volume and open interest in the market is making it a very difficult space to be in for any kind of serious long-term view on the market at the moment. I see. And any comments on OPEC's behavior in the last few days with the prediction or reduction in output? Well, I mean, ultimately, it, as I said, it's just a minute ago, it's just a statement of intent. Mm. Um, it's a minimal, it's a token gesture of what, of what they're doing, but what they're trying to let the market know is, um, is that we are going to defend oil prices. They want to keep oil prices high. Um, and if there is any form of the, the economic slowdown filtering flu, which we're obviously seeing because we've seen some big sell-offs in oil from the highs, um, then they're going to they're prepared to act um, against it. And then, as we know historically, you know they spent I think it's about three four years ago that they they spent um, the whole year saying that they'd cut production and didn't do it, and then out of the blue cut production, oil spiked and the market got absolutely killed and run over. Um, mm. And 
we've seen this historically that you know it's games it's, it's gamesmanship in the market to try mm-hmm. and manipulate prices um and with as i say this low volume um high volatility situation we've got it just it just becomes a very very difficult space because mm-hmm. opec will defend fundamentally you've got covid lockdowns you've got a war going on we have high inflation the potential for a very very large economic slowdown and all of these factors are saying sell oil but how do you go in on a big position and build a position if you're a fund um with a with a speculative view on a market when it can move five dollars on nothing um it's a very dangerous space to go and and now opec standing there and saying well hey look we're going to support prices if you look at it from a technical perspective it's broken 91.51 from an Elliott Wave perspective. We'd already seen the market complete a cycle on the 17th of August, um, which means that the fact that we've gone higher and moving down now, we're going into a bigger cycle. Um, so your potential downside is significant. It could be $20. Um, if this was market was trading as liquid as it normally would be, um, I would have a lot more confidence in saying that. But um, yes, to work more, my view on oil is, Ultimately, it should be it should be coming off uh, further, further from these levels, uh, based on the technical breakout that we saw this morning. Um, that's based on a longer term Elliott wave cycle that's been in play now for the last couple of months. The fact that we've gone down today indicates that there's a potential we're on a bearish wave three of a larger cycle. Um, right here, right now, um, today we're seeing prices rally. Why is that? That's just simply because there's a positive divergence in the market on the intraday. Um, so we've seen like a two dollar spike having drop down to the lows that's just the rebalance of the market um, will we see the down fruit down downside i think we should um, and i think we will um, which brings you very interesting scenario going into like the energy sector because obviously there's a massive disparity right now with like gas being in huge demand Nord Stream, mm-hmm. um, Putin's been out a minute ago saying, you know, give us the turbines and I'll turn it on tomorrow. <laughs> um, so it, it, it's it, there's a lot of gamesmanship going on the market. So mm. whereas the technical in other markets has been a bit more reliable, um, I think making anything other than really short-term predictions in the market could be dangerous. Um, but if you had to pin me to it, I'd, I'd say that I'm technically bearish after the breakout to the downside this morning. Noted. And thank you so much for your comments and for joining us last minute. Really appreciate that, Ed. No worries, Mo. You're welcome. That's it for this week, folks. If you want to stay up to date on what's happening in the freight and commodity space, sign up for our app, FIS Live, or follow us on Twitter or LinkedIn. If you'd like to give any feedback or suggestions, you can email us at news at freightinvestor.com. Have a great week and join us on the next episode.